0: Everyone fails, we're all gonna fail at some point, but to have the resiliency, to keep moving forward through the failure and to find the lesson to help you become a better human, not necessarily an athlete, it's great to be an athlete, but it's way more important to be a good human.
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, Skin skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpri.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a 2008 Olympic bronze medalist. She is the founder of Kim Swim Studios and has international medals in both the Olympics the World Championships, and the Pan American Games. She's currently a mentor with RISE Athletes and is a graduate psychology student at Pepperdine. Welcome to the show, Kimberly Vandenberg.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: Yeah, Kimberly, thanks for joining me. I'm um, I, Sorry I had to cut your intro short. I know you've got, you know, we had to truncate things down because you've got a, a um, very impressive laundry list of things that we could list out about all the things that you've been doing since you started swimming, you know, it, I think age two or three, you had mentioned in in the interview I'd listened to, but basically your entire life you've been swimming, um, and achieving. So, uh, I appreciate you allowing me to truncate it.
0: Um,
1: so obviously swimming is your thing. I I wanted to ask you as kind of a, a fellow business owner, um, why start your own thing versus, you know, tagging on to say, you know, an, an academy that already exists or like a program that's already around? What, what, what's kind of compelling you to say, like, I'm going to be in charge of me and my own thing?
0: Right. Well, I I still continue to work for other companies. You know, I'm a contractor for uh, swim companies such as Fitter and Faster. I worked with a lot of different swim schools and swim programs when I was living in New York. And it was finally the time for me to just branch out and start my own program because I really love having my own independence. And I like working for myself and I I love my clients. And I think with my schedule, you know, traveling often for different events and um, whatnot, it was just, it was better for me to have control over my own schedule and my own life. And so um, that's essentially what started it. it was my clients in New York also wanted me to start my own thing. And I had a lot of parents requesting that I start my own program. Um, and it was a collaborative experience when I was in New York.
1: The, the one thing I, I, I don't think you've ever lived this life. So I wonder in your social circle, how many people do, but obviously like the prototypical grow up, being an adult, get a job nine to five, like that world, at least from my glimpse of your life, doesn't seem like you've ever really touched that. Is that, is that an accurate statement?
0: Actually, no, no, it's not. I, when I moved to New York in 2012, I was um, just coming off of a big disappointment from missing the Olympic team Mm -hmm. um, in London. So I got third place. I was the first alternate and I decided to move to New York to explore other passions besides swimming. And so I actually became an intern for the first time when I was 28 and I interned No pay uh, at a photography studio, cleaning the studio, washing all the stuff, and just really like ground zero compared to coming off of the Olympics. Right. Um, so I started there and then I started interning at another magazine and then I started writing and I actually became a full-time employee for a a sports media company. So I did dip into that, uh, lifestyle of working nine to five, but on top of that, I was still swimming and training and teaching. So my life was pretty busy. It was like waking up to swim, working all day, swimming and teaching. So, um, that wasn't sustainable. And I, I, became a little bit more passionate about my swimming opportunities compared to sitting in an office all day. I still love writing and it's something I'll I'll always do, but um, I did explore that lifestyle and I I decided that um, what was natural and um, most impactful for me was to have my own company and to teach and inspire and mentor.
1: Maybe you'll have a little more insight about this because you've done both um i know i always so i come from a running and then triathlon background so uh i'm not a great swimmer by any any stretch of the imagination but i know i have friends who went on to become pros and you know live that pro lifestyle but it is extremely difficult because there's not a ton of money in triathlon say compared to like big u.s sports baseball you know nfl even soccer now um is it similar in pro swimming is there enough sponsorship money where you can say i'm just gonna swim or or do a lot of your compatriots end up having to hold down other gigs to continue to swim at a high level
0: oh of course that's a great question i mean for me i felt like i was very lucky at a young age because i was i was finishing my undergrad at ucla And it was 2006, and so I had graduated, and I was getting ready for nationals that summer. And nationals were in August, and so at that point, I I wasn't even sure if I was going to continue swimming. I I thought I was going to study abroad. Um, I was about to just hang up my goggles and move on with my life. Um, But my coach and I decided to train for nationals to see what would happen. And the focus was just four months of swimming. So at that point, I was on scholarship for UCLA. And so I had a stipend every month. And um, that helped me just prepare for nationals. And then once I focused on nationals, I ended up winning nationals. And so I made the national team. And that same week I signed my first contract with Speedo and then I was on the national team. And so I got another stipend from national team. So I was really lucky that my first introduction to swimming, I had a sponsor, I was on the national team. I had the support I needed. And then through that experience, I I got an agent and then I had um, a couple more sponsorship opportunities with Oakley and different companies. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was very blessed and very lucky to have the financial support, um, to pursue my goals. And then that led me into the Olympic games in which I meddled. And then that opened up a whole new opportunity to travel abroad and, and swim abroad and continue the sponsorship relationships that I had.
1: This is something I, I think about because I have, um, I'll say uh, an Olympic friend slash mentor slash coach, um Linkos, who competed in the 2004 Olympic Games in triathlon. Um, I, I, you know, I've had the fortune to know her over a number of years and learn a lot from her, and I hold her in very high esteem. She's such an, an incredible woman, and just by extension, I, you know, kind of lump you into that group of people that have this experience because. It's not. I don't think of it in terms of you went to the Olympics, so automatically, like you're this thing. But I have this inclination that you've gone through all these trials and tribulations, and that resulted in you going to the Olympics. So, like, you have a lot to share. My my question or thought is, you know, what's it like after that time period is over? Because when I when I think about her, when I think about Barb. She had all kinds of you know sponsorships and, and all kinds of things that I still like learning about but she doesn't do near as much now. you know she's well past you know, competition age. Um, do, does a lot of that still taper off? Do you still get to engage with companies and, and get to be a face or it, it, it's just a curiosity I have. so it, if, yeah, I'm, if I'm being too like intrusive, just no, tell me a
0: great question It's just I' such a curiosity. Yeah, I mean, I still, I still am. I am an ambassador actually for a lot of nonprofits now, and so. Okay. I- I work with um, Uptest Sports, which is a youth program that gives back to different communities within the United States. And they, um, all the sponsorship money, all the money that they get, they, it goes to mentors and coaches to help underprivileged children stay in sports and stay active and get ready for college. And um, I'm also an ambassador for Room to Read. And so that's for girls' education worldwide. And so I'm very active in the nonprofit world with my ambassadorship. And then I also work with Shackley, and so Shackley is a company. It has, you know, supplements and also skincare. And so I'm a spokesperson and uh, athlete ambassador for them. But for me, my impact I feel like is just working with youth and giving back. I think the knowledge that I've gained in my 30 plus years of swimming um, at the Olympic Games and all over the world that's only going to be useful if I'm going to share it with the other generations and the younger athletes that I get to interact with. So that's my focus and my goal now.
1: Do you get, so uh, when you're doing your clinics, you're talking about, you know, that clinic coming up, are you strictly focused on like, Hey, let's get in the pool. Let's look at technique. Let's watch tape. Or is it also like like what's going on with your noodle? Like, let's talk about yeah. what's going on upstairs and, and working but, on that.
0: Yeah, this clinic this weekend, it's with Fitter and Foster. And so we're I think this clinic, we're focusing on breaststroke. So usually each clinic has a different focus, whether it's breaststroke, butterfly, freestyle, um, or starts, turns, finishes, the details. And then we all, um, all the clinicians give a little speech. And so I'm going to talk about my experience. And we definitely do Q&A and we talk to them about how to deal with nervous energy before you race? How to mm-hmm. deal with disappointment? How to overcome setbacks? So it's a combination of in-water drill work and then also discussion and sharing um, the tools and the necessary—I don't know—the necessary things to overcome. You know that next that next challenge.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I thought about earlier when I you know mentioned um, my friend Barb. Is in her clinics and in her suggestions to upcoming athletes, she talks about um, you know developing a pre-race routine, which yeah everybody does something a little bit different. But the one thing between that thought and then listening to your the interview, uh, the other podcast you've done earlier, you mentioned something along the lines of the Olympics not quite being whatever we expects it to be. Um, it made me think about Barb and how when she traveled to race, she talks about, well, yeah, I've been all over the world doing all these races, but I spend most of my time in a hotel room. Like I don't, right. you know, you go, you just sit in the hotel room. You're not, we're not going to Paris and going to see the Eiffel tower We're going to Paris. So we're going to stare at a wall until it's time to race. And then we're going to leave. Um, and so, you know, part of her routine was she'd be in the room. Her like pre-race meal was to have, pizza pepperoni pizza with no cheese which Ow. i don't i don't know if that constitutes a pizza anymore <laughs> but that was her thing so you know your thought you had on the other show about the olympics not quite being what everybody thinks it is obviously there's a lot of pageantry broadcast about it so with that inside experience is your experience more similar to barb or or do you have Uh, more exciting pre-race routines going on that she does?
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand what she's saying. I think most athletes are like that, but I definitely made an effort and a point to travel after the competition. So Mm -hmm. my very first international trip was in Turkey in 2005. So I raced in Turkey, I got a silver medal at the World University Games, and then I spent the next two weeks traveling by myself in Europe because I was flying back from Turkey to Germany. And I just said goodbye to the national team and then went off on my own. And then, you know, the next year we were competing or a year or two later, we were at the world championships in Australia. And then me and one of my best friends competed, medaled. And then I spent another week uh, in, a, in Australia and in Sydney just hanging out and exploring with my Australian friends. Um, I did the same thing in China. I did the same thing in Japan. And so I always made it a really big priority to explore the country that I was in Um, because usually we take a week or two off after a big championship like Mm -hmm. that like the the Olympics or world championships yeah Um, but before right so before the race I was definitely resting in the room you know stretching meditating visualizing um, hanging out with my friends doing face masks just trying to mentally prepare to, to race, but it, it's really hard for me to actually be, be still. <laughs> I think that that was like the worst part. I was just like, oh, I can't move. Like we have to rest and we have to be still and save our energy when I, I really just wanted to explore and I wanted to go, you know, wherever I needed to go, but I couldn't because I, we were getting ready for the game. So, um, it was worth it it was worth being still and calming down and you know, resting and visualizing. But um, one of my favorite things about my career was that I was able to travel after, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, great, got a medal. Now I'm going to go get lost in Italy and try to find my way to a hostel, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that, that also made, made me think about one of the first things you talked about in that other um, podcast which was about balance, thinking about, you know, the balance between the, our, I think about it as our identity or the story we tell tell ourselves about who we are, which for you clearly can center very much around, I'm a swimmer and this is what I do. Yeah. And it's so easy to get lost in like, that's all I do. And it, I think you see this, you know, somehow, and I'm, I'm very glad for you that it didn't seem like, at least from the glimpse of the I've had, Uh, of your story, that you got so lost in that, that you didn't know who else you were, or what else you were involved in. Um, So, is that something you coach with young kids now, or you say, hey, like, you know, if you have a a bad day, like swimming isn't everything. Yeah. You know, you have other things that are part of who you are.
0: Oh, I think that's such an important topic. And I think I always struggled with it when I was younger because I wanted to be hanging out with my friends. I wanted, I grew up playing the piano. I wanted to play the piano. I wanted to play other sports. I did play other sports for a Mm -hmm. very long time. And by the time I was 12, 13, I really had to focus only on swimming. And it was so hard for me because I... I didn't identify as just a swimmer. You know, I wanted to be a friend and I wanted to explore and just be a normal kid. So I think when I work with younger athletes now, I definitely ask, well, what are your passions outside of swimming? You know, and I make sure that they do have passions outside of swimming and that if they have a bad race or a bad workout, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's not the end of the world. And I think it's really, dangerous for athletes, especially when they're really, really young to wrap their identity completely in their performance. I don't think that that's healthy. It's, it's definitely not, um, especially because one in four athletes in, 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 in NCAAs are depressed. I think mental health is super important. That's why I'm studying psychology. And that's why I want to promote balance and well-being to all younger athletes and athletes at our age. I think a lot of people have a hard time leaving professional sports world because they don't know what else they care about, you know? So for me, when I went to New York, I was like, okay, I'm an intern. I'm going to work in a photography studio and I'm going to start writing and I'm going to start teaching yoga. I got my uh, yoga um, teacher training credits and stuff. So I just kind of started exploring my other passions with swimming. So I was always swimming. I was always somehow teaching and inspiring other kids, but I was focusing on, you know, develop me, developing my other interests and my other talents and I started painting, I got back to the piano and I started writing. And so I kind of became more of a creative um, person after I was an Olympic swimmer.
1: Got A lot of thoughts, see if I can try to keep them all together. Um, So like thinking about uh, performance and identity, um, a a few weeks ago, I was speaking to uh, Olympic rower, uh, Akeel Abdullah. And he was saying that as he's gotten older, he's gotten less critical of himself as far as performance goes and more curious, more like, why didn't it go well? Is there anything I could have changed? Like it's not so harsh on himself as it is just like trying to figure out the ins and outs and then making adjustments as necessary. Mm -hmm. And it it makes me think about you because you were mentioning you know, after the races, you just go wander through Italy and, and just to say, hey, let's go figure it out. But like, like that's, I I wonder how, how teachable that is. Because it seems like a natural curiosity where you're just like, like, screw it, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I'm out the door. I'm going to go figure it out. And, and it's obviously, I think I value that aspect of that personality trait, whatever you want to call it in a person a lot. And I just wonder how teachable it is. Is it just something that you have as a person and, you know, you can't give it to anybody else or, or can you foster that in other people?
0: I think you can. I mean, my, one of my coaches, Cindy Gallagher from UCLA, who is like one of my dearest friends. And we talk, we still have dinners and I love her so much. And she coached me from 18 to 24. You know, she, mm-hmm. She coached me to become an Olympian and we went through a lot together. And I think when I was really upset after like NCAAs one year, I didn't, I didn't win. You know, I got like second or third and I was just really bummed out. Mm -hmm. And we had this talk. She's like, okay, you have five minutes to be upset about this and then let it go, you know, and the way that she just inspired me to look at my disappointments and continue to move forward. You know, I was sick out of meat once and she's like, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. You could swim a 200 fly, you know and then just drink a lot of water. And so she was always giving me tools to be like, okay. She, She gave me that tough resiliency that I'm just so thankful to her. So I do think it's coachable. I mean, when I was really young, I would have been like I'm not gonna swim a 200 fly. Why would I ever do that? You know, and then my coach was like, no, you're gonna do 200 fly. And so my coaches always just kind of guided me into the next step and and believed in me enough that I eventually believed in myself. So I mean, I credit Cindy Gallagher and my coaches, Ronnie and Donnie Hadry and Greg Meehan was one of my coaches at UCLA. He was the assistant coach when I was a freshman. And I used to not make intervals in the pole sets because I was like this is impossible I'm like I can't make the interval Greg and then he would be like find a way Kim find a way and I used to always just like hate him for that until I find until I did find a way and then I and then eventually I loved pole sets Mm -hmm. and I was like wow Greg you're pretty good (laughs) you know now we have like head coach at Stanford and like this amazing coach and he always was but um I had a I was very blessed to have so many coaches that I respected and they, they believed in me and they gave me the tools I needed. So I do think it is, I do think it's teachable.
1: Is that, you know, it it seems like you make a point to bring up your coaches and mentors you've had through the year. Is that, you know, cognitive realization that they had such an impact on you? Is that why you are involved with rise?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm so lucky that, you know, like Natalie Coughlin is one of my very dear friends and she was always a mentor to me. We grew up in the same area and she, mm-hmm. we raised each other in high school we raised each other in college, college. We were roommates on the national team and um, you know, we were at every single international meet together, you know, for me at least, like the the Pan Pacific Championships, the World Championships, the Olympics. So Natalie was like an older sister. Like I was so nervous, you know, and she just walked by and pat me on the back. And Amanda Beard was my roommate at the Olympics. And and so I had all these more experienced older swimmers that were so supportive of me. And I and I was very lucky to have them in my life. And, you know, even as a young, young girl, I loved the older girls on my team. I wanted to be just like them. And so I just, I always had older girls that I wanted to be just like, and, um, they showed me what it was like to be the the best in the world. And so I hope to inspire younger athletes and to support them in their journey.
1: It it seems like, you can't underestimate the the impact of just having like tidbits from somebody that it, i don't know i don't know how to phrase this but just somebody that has a little more shine i, I i'm not, it's 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 on the tip of my tongue but just basically like the a, a personality that has so much positivity because we all come from different places right like you kid grows up, even if you're coaching them, you know, maybe you know what their home life's like, maybe you don't. And you don't know where they are, where they're coming from. But you do know that just being able to be, you know, a bright light for them, whether they're already in a light room or or not, is impactful. I mean, I can think of a dozen different coaches and mentors I've had over the years and things they've said to me that they'll they they won't remember that they said to me, but it's stuck in my head. And so I think it's a really neat platform that, you know, people have the ability to get on and say, like, you know, people watched you in the Olympics, and they really looked up to you, and they can say, hey, I actually want to connect with her and you're available. Um, You know, it's not so much of a question, it's just a rambling uh, admiration of the availability to be able to talk to somebody like you and have young athletes be able to get kind of that wisdom from you that maybe they wouldn't have in their social circle otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important. And it's just, you know, we're social animals, we need people, we need that connection. And I think with COVID right now, that's really, really important, like like this, to have a Zoom call to connect with people and just to have that dialogue and the conversation and, and just to be there for each other is really, really important.
1: So I have to ask about your graduate degree. Yes. What is there a, a moment of genesis that that says I'm going to study psychology and as you know, as a graduate degree and kind of pursue this more seriously? Is it a series of things like what what leads you to that decision?
0: yeah great question so my mother is actually a therapist and when i was an undergrad i started with psychology as my major and it wasn't until i think sophomore year i couldn't take certain classes because swimming was priority i had like practice in the morning practice in the afternoon and some of the classes i needed for my psych degree overlapped and then i had a meeting with my academic advisor about it And she was like, Well, you're doing really well in history. Um, Why don't you change your major to history? Because it works better with your swimming (laughs) schedule. And once, you know, maybe one day you could go back to school and get your master's in psychology. And so I did it purely based on my swimming. And so I always knew I was going to go back to school. Like in my mind, I thought I was going to go directly into into my master's degree. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know I was going to make the Olympic team and travel the world for 10 years. So That was the process. I graduated from UCLA with a history degree. I focused on uh, World War II and genocide and then moved on, made the Olympics, traveled the world, moved back to LA last year. And I decided this is the perfect time to apply uh, to graduate programs. And Mm -hmm. then I got accepted to Pepperdine. And now I am finishing up my second semester. I have a final next week. And I just, I love it so much i'm really really excited to be learning new things and to see where it's going to take me
1: so is this is there a, a conscious effort in let's take this and apply this directly to like what i'm doing at the clinics or is it like i want to do this i know it's going to have a benefit but i don't quite know where it fits in yet
0: I know where it fits in. I mean, I want to focus on developmental psychology. I work with so many younger athletes Mm -hmm. and I think that it's really important for younger athletes to have that balance like we talked about and to understand that their identity is not surrounded by their performance. You know, it's not directly related. Um, And so I think that working with younger kids and, and helping them with their mental process, if they're athletes or not, I think for me, I just, I love working with children, because I think it's the most impactful. And that's going to set them. It's going to give them the foundation that they need later in their life. Um, so I'm hoping to one day have my own practice. I mean, right now I'm mentoring, I'm coaching, I'm teaching, I'm doing clinics. But when I graduate, I want to maybe get my doctoral doctorate degree and, and see where that leads me and potentially write books and give lectures, but also um, just impact people the, the most.
1: So you're talking about you, you want to have like a like a canceling practice or um, some other avenue
0: with the degree? Yeah, I would like to one day have my own practice. Okay. My own practice. Okay. I'm if, and mentoring and all that other stuff. That could just be another thing I do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just with, all my time.
0: with all <laughs> my free
1: time. Right. right. I was like, you do all these things. I'm like, Oh, okay. Got well, it'll, be,
0: it'll probably be part time. I mean, I think everything I do is part time because I'm doing so many different things. I don't right. have, I used to just be full time with this one company, but now I'm part time with multiple companies, including myself,
1: mm-hmm. including
0: my own company.
1: Yeah. It, it's, I, I don't know, it, your journey in some ways, like the reason you're on this show is because you're a smart athlete, and it, that's kind of where I. Uh, fall, although not nearly as successful on the athletic side as you. Um, I also I um, specialized in psychology for my undergrad and considered and was a uh, want to I say I said approved uh, I applied to and was accepted into a, a a master's in counseling program, but decided not to go down that road yeah. um, for various reasons. But it, it's I think it's tough having so many interests because there is only 24 hours of the day. And, you know, getting back to thinking about like, with you and swimming, balance versus specialization, like, obviously, if you want to be a really good swimmer, you're going to have to put time in the pool. Like, you can't just get in, swim a couple thousand and be like, okay, that's it. That's all I'm doing for the day. Where you know, it, so the the struggle is real. Um, but it seems like you're you're making the best of it and figuring out places that you want to go to make you feel fulfilled.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think of course, when we to get to the Olympics, I had to dedicate years and years and years and hours and sacrifices of not being a balanced person. And it wasn't until later, you know, after I finished at the Olympics and Mm -hmm. missed the Olympic team in 2012, that I realized how unhealthy that was. I mean, it was important to do, to make the team, but it wasn't healthy. You know, I wasn't having time to socialize. I wasn't having time to paint and play piano and travel. Um, I'm much happier now than I was when I was preparing for the Olympics. I was super stressed. I had so much pressure. I was trying to, you know, be the best in the world. And I think with that, it's, it's a point of, I think a lot of athletes experience this where, you know, if you get a silver medal or a bronze medal, a lot of Olympians, and I was shocked by it at the Olympic games were really unhappy with how they performed. If they didn't get a gold medal or if they didn't get the world record and the gold medal, which not many people do. I mean, you're at the Olympics and you compete, but only one person could get the gold medal and one person gets the world record. And, um, I think that's toxic. I think that's really dangerous. And that's when people beat themselves up and hate, hate the sport or, you know, quit and never want to play again. Um, that's not what I wanted to experience, which is why I kept swimming after the games. And I kept swimming at a lower level. I competed for the New York athletic club and just started giving back and and realizing that, um, it's okay to swim for 30 minutes. And that's a workout, like a 30 minute workout is solid. I didn't have to swim seven hours a day to be happy with who I am. Um, but that took years and years and years of de- like reprogramming, um, mm-hmm. my thought pattern.
1: So it, it, to me, that kind of begs the question when we think about Olympians and, or just wherever the sport is, if it's not Olympic sport, just the, you know, the pinnacle of sport, um, is it possible to balance mm-hmm. performance versus Happiness because that you know, no matter what the sport is, it's gonna, you know, take a huge amount of dedication. Is it possible to stay in any kind of lane of any semblance of like healthy mentality and still achieve those those high peaks?
0: I mean, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I mean, every Olympian I know. Uh, at some point when they were training full, like full-time training, not doing anything else, like sleep, swim, eat, sleep, swim, eat. Um, It's so intense, right? Like you have your blinders on, you can't see anything else. You can't focus on anything else. So as long, I think, as long as you're like aware that that is temporary, I think that that's okay, that that could be balanced because you're like, okay, this is a four-year thing or a two-year thing. but I think what's dangerous is when people don't understand that there's so much more than sports and so much more than sports performance. And, you know, for me, like getting third place at the Olympic trials was like the most devastating thing in the world until I moved to New York and people were like, wait, what you got third at the Olympic trials, like you're third in the country. That's amazing. And I was like, wait, that's a different perspective, you know, and that's, yeah. a, that's actually a healthy perspective. Um, and so I was able to be refreshed and like have perspective once I got away from the, like the swimming bubble. And I think a lot of athletes are so in their bubble of whatever sport they're in that it's really dangerous for their mental health um, if they're just stuck in that and they don't see the outside world, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. <sighs> I'll see if I can try to keep my, my train of thought on track here because uh, I have a couple of things. This is a little tangential, but thinking about that shift in perspective, it, it made me think about you've probably or hopefully uh, heard this idea and don't think I'm a crazy man. But I've seen people talk about they wish that, um, you know, when we watch the Olympics, you could have like average Joe competing next to all the Olympians. So you could see. All right.
0: Comp- yeah, I've heard that.
1: Comparison. So I, I want to get your thought. I'm trying to slowly ask more Olympians this um, to, so to get the inside scoop on whether this is a good idea. I would think more so like a virtual average Joe than an actual average Joe. Cause I feel like who are you going to get to sign up to do that? Number one, but also that's distracting for the athletes trying to compete. Um, so like doing it digitally, I could see anyway, I, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on that, giving that perspective so that people can see truly how fast people are. Yeah. Be- because, you know, people don't, and this is not to toot my own horn by any stretch of the imagination, because I'm, uh, I'm I'm like a middle of the pack triathlete kind of swimmer. But I've had people at my gym go like, oh, you could go to the Olympics. And I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no, like, I'm like, by the time I'm down and and back, like, Michael Phelps would be down and back like three times. It's not even, it's not even a contest. Right. There's no, there's no perspective. So anyway, I'm curious what you think about, you know, having that juxtaposition so people could truly see, you know, how fast you guys are moving.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if they could actually do that at the Olympics. I don't know if they would actually be able to have, you know, a non-
1: swimmer
0: just like an average swimmer swim in the heat i think it 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 probably would be distracting and the person who was doing it would probably be really freaked out (laughs) i wouldn't i don't know like i was freaked out competing at that level and i had my whole life so i i don't know i feel like it would be maybe not at the olympics but to do some fun event where it was like a mix of olympic swimmers and then like different levels yeah yeah, I think that'd be cool. I think they should do that before Tokyo, or before some meets, before yeah. uh, any big swim meet to have to have that, you know, like in warm up or something. Yeah, that could be fun.
1: It's it's just something that I think about. I think people think about anybody that has like a glimpse into like the high levels of any sport. It's hard to communicate, you know, through TV. Like I don't know if you ever watched the Tour de France, but those guys. Are going down mountains at 50, 60 miles an hour. And yeah. they make it they make it look like it's no no big deal. But it's like if you were screaming down that mountain in a car at that speed, that would be terrifying, let alone on a bicycle. And it's so difficult to communicate that without having experienced it. Like, like the fastest I've got going downhill is like 40 miles an hour. I can't imagine trying to make hairpin turns going faster than that. It's just
0: I have a funny story about. The, something similar please to this. please I was with a friend in Napa and it was like uh, my break you know so I'm like having wine with my friend or drinking by the pool and then she wanted to learn like how to swim so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we were, like playing around the pool and swimming around I was like demonstrating stuff this random person comes over and was like you to me he's like you I want to race you and I was like oh okay you want to race what stroke and he was like butterfly i'm like oh okay he had like no idea yeah and so my friend's cracking up her her husband's cracking up and then and then he gets his friends and they're like we're gonna make a bet i was like even better this is so, <laughs> so like this <laughs> random guy <We're>
1: hustling people <laughs>
0: yeah this random guy's like we're gonna swim we have a bet hundred dollars who wins And so we, like, had butterfly on the way down and freestyle on the way back. And, like, I push up, and I swim butterfly, like, sprinting. And then freestyle back, and I beat him. And his friends were, like, crying, laughing. And I guess while I was swimming, my friends said to his friends, she's an Olympian. And so we get to the wall, he starts cracking up. And um, it was just, it was so fun because (laughs) he didn't see me race. He just saw me moving in the water. So he was, oh, I want to race you. and then he was—he was just a really funny guy. So I think things like that are fun.
1: Did he have a swimming background? Like what? what yeah,
0: yeah. I okay. think he swam when he was younger, but um, and I think he swam butterfly when he was younger. But anyway, it was just—it was funny that he chose that—that that stroke because that's my yeah. stroke,
1: right? Well, it's like I just—I don't know. There's something. It's a—it's a very funny story, but in my own mind i'm like i could never imagine just going up to a random lady and being like let's race <laughs> like no yeah, matter how he confident i am he was okay
0: that's like, all i also was wondering like a vineyard area
1: so i like, was wondering because yeah. it's just such the whole, a, it was
0: fun because like the whole pool all it like turned into a swim meet like the whole pool, <laughs> like carrying and like um, my friend was cracking up and her husband was just, it was really fun.
1: Does your heart start racing? You're like, this is what I trained for. Like this so is I it was right laughing. here.
0: I was swimming and laughing the whole time. <laughs> it was like my day off and I'm like, why am I racing like on my day off? But it was fun.
1: Was it, was it short course? So it was like 25 down and back. It
0: was probably a 25 yard pool. Yeah. So we okay.
1: Okay. So it's so not, still not too difficult.
0: No, not
1: bad. Yeah. I'm not trying to like kill it. Um, this is a hard, uh, juxtaposition, but I think I spy the piano in your background.
0: Oh yes. That is my piano. That is the piano. I grew up playing when I was a little kid.
1: Can you play something for me or is this I, so too yeah, impromptu? I
0: my neighbor is gone. Cause she doesn't like, she has a baby. Oh, so that, let me see if she's gone. And then. I okay. Like she's
1: gone. Sure. If you're just listening, uh, Kimberly has walked out her door to check on whether her neighbor is there or not. She's coming back.
0: Yeah, I can play. Okay. What should I play?
1: I don't know. It's, it's dealer's choice. Um, I wish my classical, I mean, I play the violin and I always should know like great classical songs, but my classical repertoire off the top of my head is horrendous at best. Um, so it's whatever you want to play.
0: All
1: right. <laughs> I have I haven't had the opportunity to to get anybody to show off their musical talent. You know, it's a smart athlete podcast, so obviously you've got other things going on, and this is here. So I thought, well, I might as well ask.
0: I'll just do like a little
1: bit. Yeah, no worries. <clears throat> Bravo. <laughs> anyway
0: that's just a little bit of no
1: a thank you no it's it's great it, it you know so i've i've been like incorporating a lot more music into my a- average day since i started i started writing music over covid um so I, it's just it's a personal thing i saw the piano so i was like i just wanted to see if i could get you to do it i really appreciate it, it was it was wonderful
0: thanks that's actually so that was the piano i first started playing when I was five Mm -hmm. and that so I'm so thankful to have it still it's a it's an old Steinway and Mm -hmm. um that was my first passion was playing the piano and then swimming came into the picture, and swimming took over but now I've been I play almost every single day and I just love it so much.
1: Does it take you to a similar place that I imagine like the depths of concentration and swimming can like to that that nice zone. yeah
0: it's different though you know okay. it's like i find it very healing and very meditative mm-hmm. and i just kind of if i'm having a stressful experience in the day i just go to the piano and i play and so it's different but the same yeah i think it's like meditative because swimming's meditative for me mm-hmm. and it's an outlet right um but with with piano it's way more creative i think with swimming i try to be creative in the water but um I think with with music, it's, it's um, a different thing. The two are the best, you know, swimming and playing the piano. If I can have those two things in my day, then I'm happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, uh, I always love hearing from like fellow musicians, uh, just because that's not a large part of my circle because like you, I kind of specialize in sports and although I yeah. did both, You know, I played in the symphony in college. I really have moved away from all those people. And there's just it's like I said, I wanted to know whether you felt like you're in that same spot, because it is the same and different. And that creative aspect is hard to come by And There's just a different it's just a different way of thinking.
0: You know, you know who else is a really good musician who's an Olympian is Ian Crocker. Okay. Ian Crocker is an amazing. Um, I think he plays guitar and um, I love that. I love finding other swimmers who are musically inclined and uh, and also I think Elizabeth Beisel. I think she also plays piano and maybe some other, there's a couple athletes who are, are super into music. Um, also my friend, Will Copeland, um, is really a beautiful singer and and guitarist. So yeah. Uh, I used to train with him in Berkeley and he'd come over with his guitar and I had a piano in Berkeley and it was just like a sports musical group.
1: Sport jam time. Yeah. Um, Kimberly, we could probably keep talking for a while, but I know you've got a hard out here coming up soon. So, um, this season or each season I have a question I ask every single guest this season's question which i'll ask you is how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal
0: yeah i think staying motivated after you reach a goal i mean i tried out for the olympics five times right And i made it one time i think that for me like swimming was just my passion i loved it and making the olympic team was like icing on the cake but it's it's about enjoying the journey like if you're not enjoying what you're doing day in day out like what's the point right so i think for me my motivation was just always to be the best that I could be. And then also to learn from my failures. And I still try to learn from my failures. Like we're all human, we're, we're gonna make mistakes, but when you make a mistake, what is the lesson, right? So I, I think I'm always searching for the lessons in life. And um, thankfully my mother and my grandmother and Cindy and my mentors, everyone kind of taught me that, you know, like, well, what's the lesson? If you're struggling, if you're having a hard time, what can you learn? right? So it's not about everyone fails, we're all going to fail at some point. But to have the resiliency to keep moving forward through the failure and to find the lesson to help you become a better human, not necessarily an athlete, it's great to be an athlete, but it's way more important to be a good human. And so I think I'm always just trying to find lessons and try trying my best to be the best that I can be. And, um, you know, allowing myself to make mistakes, because we all will at some point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hope that answers it.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Kimberly, where can people find you? Keep up with you? See what you're yeah. up to? All that kind of stuff.
0: Uh, Instagram probably. My Instagram's Kim Swim, and then my my company is Kim Swim Studios. Um, Instagram is the best way to find me, and then I always respond to direct messages. So when people like DM me with questions. Um, My also my website is www.kimswimstudios.com so that has a little bit more about what I offer and then I also work with RISE and so RISE is another way to reach me.
1: Thanks for hanging out with me today Kim.
0: Of course thank you so much have a great weekend. You too. Bye.